Open your Bibles, please, to Titus chapter 2, and let's begin with that plain and precious passage of Scripture that calls the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ the blessed hope of believers. Titus chapter 2, without the inspired and preserved Scriptures, we wouldn't have a clue about this glorious truth. You might know some things about the Godhead and His power from the natural creation, but you wouldn't know about the second coming of Jesus Christ. We know it by divine revelation. And the world does not know about it, but we know about it. And it has held saints together for 2,000 years, that in spite of persecution and difficulties, the Lord was coming for them. And He was coming soon, they encouraged each other. So they bore up under terrible... Trials and tribulations, many laying down their lives for the faith and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not a reminder in the world about this. You can read today's paper, and all it will do is distract you from this truth. It will speak of everything else but the second coming. In your flesh, there is no desire for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because the second coming is the destruction of your flesh. The devil is going to do all he can to keep you from thinking about the second coming. Because the second coming would change your life. So we've got a conspiracy against truth in the world. A conspiracy against the most stupendous, glorious, earth-shattering, earth-shaking event that's ever occurred or will occur. And it's the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should be thinking about it. And we should live in light of it. This doctrine can give great hope to those who believe it. And it gives great motive for service to those who want to think upon it. As I told my family last evening, if you were told that sometime over the next month, the President of the United States was going to block off your subdivision, and the highway nearest your house, and helicopters were going to be overhead, and secret service agents positioned themselves on the rooftops of your neighbor's houses, and his limo pulled in with a security force around it, as they came through your house and checked every nook and cranny of it, because the President of the United States is going to come and visit you, and have lunch at your house. I can tell you what you would do for the month leading up to that. The grass would be cut. The sidewalks would be edged. The bread and makings for lunch would be the best you could, you could find. Your hair would be cut. Your makeup on, ladies. Everything would be flawless. You would have made every preparatory effort possible in order to please our commander in chief when he came to your house. If he didn't come the first day, you'd be thankful for another day that you could work even harder to prepare for him. Please think with me. Please think with me. You would make sure every single thing in your house, your life, your children, your yard was perfect. You would want to be found without spot. You would want to be found blameless. The tags on your car would be updated. You'd make sure everything was right. What about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Our president, who has more power, more visible power, more esteem, more influence than any other single man we know about on our planet, is nothing in comparison to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is nothing. And the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to believe that He could come at any time. The imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ like a thief in the night. How do you prepare for a thief in the night? You're always prepared. You watch and you're ready at all times. We want to think about it that way. We want it to affect our lives. We want to drive our vehicles as if the Lord would come and find us driving. We want to manage our marriage as if the Lord would come and measure us by our marriages, or find us engaged in taking care of our spouse in one way or another. 
We want to train our children so that if the Lord comes, He would see that that day we had had devotions with our children. And on and on we can go. We want to be found of Him in righteousness and godliness and looking for His coming and thinking upon it. Not all wrapped up in this life so that we have lost our memory of His coming. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. This is the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ right here. And Paul told Titus, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. This is an important passage of Scripture. When it says in verse 11, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, it is describing the gospel of the grace of God that appears. Grace doesn't appear. The gospel of grace appears and shows us things. Because whatever the grace is in verse 11, it does teaching in verse 12. And that teaching of the gospel of the grace of God is to teach us that we are to deny ourselves and our lusts and ungodliness and to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Do you know what the words present world imply? There's another world. It's a future world. The Bible uses the words, the world to come. There's another world that's coming. Verse 12 is why we've been saved. Verse 12 is what the Gospel should teach us. The Gospel of God has appeared to all sorts of men. All sorts of men, Jews and Gentiles, barbarians and Scythians, Greeks, masters and slaves. And if you read verses 1 through 10, we have old women, young women, old men, young men, ministers and servants all listed because the gospel of the grace of God has addressed them all. That we all are to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and live a sober life in this present world. Because this present world is just temporary. We shall go to another world where we will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And as one of our songs told us from Revelation chapter 20, the heavens and the earth will flee away from the face of Him that sits on that throne. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But then it goes on to say that not only does it teach us to deny ourselves, it says in verse 13 that we should be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you looking for it? When you're looking for something, you're anticipating it. You're reading about it. You want to know about it. You're thinking upon it. It's looking for it. Are you looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? That implies that you want it to come, because you're looking for it to hurry up and get here. In 2 Peter chapter 3, it will say, Hasting unto the coming of the day of God. We want to hurry up the process and have the Lord come. No wonder John said, even so come, Lord Jesus, because the Lord Jesus Christ said in the last verses of our Bible, I come quickly. So John said, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're looking for it. Are you looking for it? Are you thinking about it, expecting it, wanting it? But you won't do that if you're too occupied with the things of this life. If you get too caught up in your marriage, too caught up in your children, too caught up in your job, too caught up in your things like your houses and your cars, if you get too caught up in those things, you won't be looking for it. You'll go from one thing to another thing in this life. The Lord wants us to be looking for the coming. This is the most stupendous event the world will ever have. And it ought to get our attention. It would get your attention if a mere man was to come and visit you who's been elected for a few short years. It would get your attention. But how about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's called the blessed hope. Looking for that blessed hope. Because we shall be blessed in that day. And it is the hope of believers. 
if in this life only, if in this life only, if in this present world only, is the extent of our religion, we are of all men most miserable. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. But we're not of all men most miserable. We are of all men the ones with the greatest hope. Because we're looking for that blessed hope. And the hope is not it might happen. The hope is it will certainly happen. And we're just waiting for it. The hope of His coming. And it's called here, the glorious appearing. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming back in glory with His mighty angels in flaming fire to take vengeance upon all those that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This earth and heaven will disappear and we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He's coming back. It's a glorious appearing. And He is the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. For those heretics that want to deny the full deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, try Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 on for size. It is the great God. Not a God. Not a begotten God. It is the great God that shall appear. In His glorious appearing. And everyone knows who's coming and appearing. It's the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth is the great God. And the glorious Savior of ours. And then it goes on to say what Jesus Christ has done for us already. In verse 14, Who gave Himself for us. He died on the cross in our stead. That He might redeem us from all iniquity. He paid for all our sins, past, present, and future. And He purified to Himself a peculiar people, His special chosen children given before the world began to Him by God the Father, zealous of good works. He has redeemed us from sin so that we would not live any longer in our lives unto sin, but that we would live unto Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. So what does the Gospel teach? The Gospel teaches that we should live lives of self-denial, denying the worldly lifestyle that we should be zealous of good works to please Him who has paid for all our sins, looking for His return. Because He's coming for us in a glorious display that He is truly King of kings and Lord of lords. And He's going to take us to live with Him forever. And He'll judge the world and all the wicked that are in it. And we shall give an account of our lives. And we want to give an account with joy because we've served Him faithfully day by day up to that time. This is Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. I hope you'll remember these words that you ought to be looking for something. Not looking for a promotion. Not looking to have a child. Not looking to get married. Those are secondary, inferior objectives for your lives. You should be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The world, our flesh, and the devil will do everything to steal that view from us. And we have got to put that view in front of our eyes by our singing, by our reading, by our praying, by our meditation, by our meditating, by our preaching, and by our conversation one with another that we provoke each other to think about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's turn in our Bibles to Job 19. Those of you who know your Bibles well know exactly what is said there. Job 19. If you had every asset that you have ripped away from you, everything you owned, everything, all your children included, your health was terrible from the top of your head to the sole of your feet, and your best friends... Figure out that they know why. You're a secret sinner. You're a hypocrite. And they sit around and tell you about it in their way of comforting you. And your wife comes along and says, What in the world? You're still a Christian? Curse God and die. Now what if that was your predicament? Do you know what your comfort and hope can be in a time like that? The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll never have a situation that bad. I hope you'll never have the wife that says anything like that. And I hope that we will never be such friends to you. And I, and I know that I trust that the Lord will never take away everything from you like He took away from Job. 
nor strike you with sore boils from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. But if that were the case, if you were in those dire straits, there's a place to find comfort, and it's right here in Job 19, verse 25. Job 19.25, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Job took comfort that he had a Redeemer. And that Redeemer was not like his three friends. That Redeemer was going to come for him, and that Redeemer was going to change him and give him back his full life, his flesh, which was decaying. He had sore boils all over his skin. But he said, if after this skin is destroyed, all my flesh is destroyed and worms eat me up entirely, and robins eat the worms, and eagles eat the robins, and whatever else happens... If I'm totally destroyed, my Redeemer is coming to stand on the earth in the latter day, and I'm going to be there in my flesh. This body that's falling apart on me is going to be put back together, and I shall see Him with my own eyes. And it won't be another. It's the Lord, and it's me. We're going to be together on this earth. Though my reins might be consumed within me, and He might find death, And though he was so sore troubled by all of his circumstances, look where he found his hope. And that is where we always should find our hope. The problem with us is that we look for hope in other places. We look for hope in our family. If my family can be around me, it comforts me. But there should be no comfort like the Word of God. Job didn't have a family. We get comfort from our wives. Our wives are faithful and loyal. And it comforts us. But Job didn't have a faithful and loyal wife. When we've got money in the bank, it comforts us. I could cover anything that happened right now. We've got some, we've got a good amount of fluff in the, in the operating accounts. And so we get comforted. But Job didn't have any of that. We get comforted when we're strong and we're feeling good and we wake up in the morning and we want to take on the world. Job didn't have that. He didn't find comfort in any of those places. He found comfort that the Redeemer His Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, would stand upon the earth in the latter days. I want to point out that Job, from all that we know, was a relative of Abraham in some way around that time, long before Moses. One of the oldest pieces of Scripture we have, they already knew about the second coming of Jesus Christ. They didn't know the details like we do, but they knew that His Redeemer would be on this earth and that His Redeemer would put Him back together even if worms were to eat all of them. That's where we get our comfort and our hope. But you know, if you're honest with me right now, that our hearts and the devil and the world take us away to put our hope elsewhere. Once I get married and have my own house, I have my faithful little wife to take care of me, and then we have a few little bambinos, and the Lord blesses us with a few increases, and maybe another business, that everything will be comfortable and fine. But it will never match the man who can put his trust in his Redeemer. That's why Job could say, The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because he knew his Redeemer lived and his Redeemer would save him. And he would stand on the earth. It'll be a new earth. Because by the time Job gets a new body and stands with his Redeemer, guess what earth they're going to be standing on? A new one that's been totally restored wherein dwelleth righteousness. This is the hope of believers. This is the meeting of a secret society in this little room where we talk about things that the world does not understand. They do not write about these things. They do not believe these things. Our brethren believe these things so well, they can walk up to a post and say, Save the chains, executioner. Save the chains. I'll stand here. Go ahead and light the wood. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read the faith they had. Stand there and burn? Oh, there's many testimonies like that. If you don't deny the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to throw you into this boiling cauldron of oil. Save yourselves the bother. And they went and dove in. 
You say, that's impossible. They knew their Redeemer lived. And that He would stand in the latter day upon this earth and He would judge all their enemies and they would leave that vengeance up to them. You know what they said on their way out of this world? The same thing Stephen said. Forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they're doing because they don't know what separates us. We are a part of a secret society. It's the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's not going to be secret for much longer. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming from heaven to reveal it to the whole universe. And we'll be with Him. This is where Job put his trust. Turn to Luke 18. Luke 18, we want to just scour the Word of God, not pick up every reference, but pick up a number of them to encourage us that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ was an important event in in the lives of Old Testament saints and New Testament saints, especially the New Testament. It filled them with hope. It was appealed to. If Paul wanted to get Timothy or Titus' attention, guess what he appealed to? You're going to give an account for your ministry to the Lord Jesus Christ who's coming to judge the quick and the dead. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, the blessed and only potentate. That's not in a section where Paul's trying to teach about the kingship of Jesus Christ. That's in a section where Paul's charging Timothy. It gets his attention. If you want to comfort those at a funeral, wherefore comfort one another with these words. What words? 1 Thessalonians 4. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has not been enough of an emphasis to us. So we have failed the Lord in the past. It's going to be more of an emphasis to us by His grace. Help me keep it an emphasis in this church. The Lord's coming for us. The Lord's coming for us. Maranatha. The Lord's coming for us. Luke 18, verse 7. Luke 18, 7, And shall not God avenge His own elect, which cry day and night unto Him, though He bear long with them? I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall He find faith on the earth? This is after the little lesson, a parable that the Lord gave on continuing instant in prayer and not giving up. Remember, it's the unjust judge and the widow that came asking him to avenge her of her adversaries. And this unjust judge did not fear God or man, nor did he care about the widow, but he eventually avenged her of her adversaries because she kept bugging him. And the lesson is, keep praying. Because the Lord does hear your prayers and He will answer them. But the Lord takes the lesson of how we ought to pray and moves it to a practical application in verses 7 and 8. Shall not God avenge His own elect, which cry day and night unto Him, though He bear long with them? If an unjust judge would will take up the case of a widow, an avenger, how much money is there usually involved in delivering a widow? Do you get a huge retainer from a widow? No, he knew it wasn't going to be for money. It was going to be for peace and quiet. It was going to be for peace and quiet. But if an unjust judge would do that for a widow, then the Lord will do it for his elect. They cry unto him day and night. What are they crying unto him day and night for? The word avenge is here. Because they're being persecuted. They're They're in trouble. They're being hated and despised. They're suffering. There's martyrs involved. They cry day and night to the Lord to defend them. And He bears long with them sometimes. It It appears that He doesn't hear. It appears that He's not going to avenge them. But then what does it say in verse 8? I tell you. Who's who's telling you? The Lord Jesus Christ. Does He know God, His Father? I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. The Lord will come and deliver. Nevertheless. Now he makes another application. Nevertheless. If the elect are praying, and if the Lord does come and avenge them speedily, nevertheless, there's another issue at stake that goes beyond prayer. Are the elect living for Him? Are the elect doing more than just begging for vengeance on their enemies because of the trouble they're bearing? Are the elect living for Him in the faith once delivered to the saints? 
Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. How much faith is there going to be on the part of the elect? Let's not just be crying for deliverance. Let's be living for righteousness. Let, let the Lord Jesus come and find in Greenville, South Carolina, that there is a congregation committed to righteousness. And they love the faith once delivered to the saints. And they stand fast in that faith. And they speak often of that faith one to another. And they provoke each other in that faith. And lead each other in that faith. And teach that faith. And defend that faith. Let faith be found in our families and our church when the Lord Jesus Christ comes from heaven. We can pray and He will avenge us. But there's another question. Are we living in the faith that He's given us? Turn to John chapter 5. Isn't that a haunting haunting question of the Lord Jesus Christ? When the Son of Man cometh, shall He find faith on the earth? It's to provoke us to faithfulness. Let's be found of Him. Let's make sure our family trees are found of Him in righteousness and this church and our own souls. Let's make this a prime objective for our families. Not just to get college educations. Not just to get good jobs. Not just to have babies. But let's pray that our family will be ready and waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to come and keeping the faith so the Lord Jesus Christ can find faith when He comes. What a noble goal to ever have a family. There's no other goal that should exist for having a family. Otherwise, you're no better than a junkyard dog. Junkyard dogs have families. Junkyard dogs have children. But God's elect train those children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and press them and try to teach them the fear of the Lord and prepare them for the coming of the Son of Man. John chapter 5, verse 26. For as the Father hath life in Himself, so hath He given to the Son to have life in Himself. And hath given Him authority to execute judgment also, because He is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of life. Of damnation. Paul would say in Acts 24, there shall be a resurrection. There's only one resurrection coming. Don't let Hal Lindsey or anyone else tell you that there's two. There's one resurrection coming, both of the just and the unjust. They're both brought up. The time that the tares are taken up and burned is the same time that the wheat is gathered into the garner by the angels that come with the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one resurrection coming, and it's at the last day. When it says in verse 28, marvel not at this, it's because a comparison has been made. When you have the word this, there is likely a that. That's why you have the this, because it's comparing two things. In verse 25, we have the spiritual resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ when He calls dead sinners into life. But that's not our theme for today. Our theme is what verses 26 through 29 describe. That as the Father hath life, God the Father is able to breathe into man's nostrils the breath of life. He is life. Jesus Christ is life. And if God the Father gave that power of life to the Lord Jesus Christ, John chapter 1 tells us about the Word of God, in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The Lord Jesus Christ has the power of life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He can give life whenever He chooses to give it. He can take it away whenever He chooses to take it away. He can raise the dead. It means nothing to Him that a man is dead. It means a lot to us. We say it's terminal. It's fatal. Well, they're dead now. That doesn't mean a thing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Father has given Him life. He can speak life. And He speaks it With spiritual life, regenerating us from our dead state in trespasses and sins. Verse 25. But now we're moving forward because there's another day that He's going to speak life. Verse 27 says that the Father hath also given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Because Jesus of Nazareth was willing to be humbled in this world and to come into this world and live His life of humiliation for us, 
The Father has promoted Him and given Him authority as the judge of heaven and earth. And we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ will be judged in that day. And so that's what verse 27 is teaching. And then verse 28, the judgment taking place. The hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice and shall come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes, everyone in the cemetery comes out. Everyone. The evil and the good. Because they're all going to stand before His judgment. And whosoever is not found written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. And those who are found there will be taken into the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world. One judgment, all bodies, reunited with souls for eternal torment, if you're wicked. For eternal bliss, if you're God's elect. John 5, 28 and 29. The Lord Jesus Christ, now that is power. Every time you put a body under, you should stand there and think about the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. This earth is not hopeless. It's hopeless to all them out there. Oh, they hate cemeteries. You know, when they, when they hear about us having youth gatherings in a cemetery, you know, my, I have made it a place of choice for some of you young people when you were baptized to take you to a cemetery because it's a nice place to chat when we're talking about baptism. To sit on someone's stone and talk about, you know, you think they mind? I've done this with some of you. Do you think you do you think they mind? Do you know they're all Baptists down there? They've all been buried, and they're all going to be resurrected. Remember Dave Taylor when we went to that Presbyterian funeral, and we told the grieving son. About his Presbyterian father, well, your father's a Baptist now. We did it in loving kindness. And he's a good brother. We'll give names afterwards if you want to know. In this city. They're all Baptists. You know what? They're all coming out of the ground. The Lord Jesus Christ has that kind of power. We can't even imagine anything like that. Do you know how big the print is in the newspaper whenever there's some new little element of surgery that they're able to you know, transplant a kidney or transplant a heart. No one's died yet. How about letting them die and let the worms eat them and then bring them back to life? Right. And not one or two, but billions. Amen. The Father hath life in Himself, and He's given to the Son to have life in Himself and hath given Him authority to execute judgment. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming. Don't you worry about dying. It doesn't bother Him a bit. It might bother your insurance agent. It might bother a doctor. It might bother your family, but it doesn't bother the Lord at all. All that are in the graves shall hear His voice. How long do you think He's going to have to plead with them? How long will it take for Him to get all the bodies out? Blink of an eye. Powerful voice. Lazarus, come forth. And what does it say? They waited around for a couple of hours, helped them to His feet. No, he came forth. And the instruction was to unwrap the man. Let him have a little bit of freedom from those grave clothes. Oh, brethren, this is what's coming. Glory. I'm thankful that we've had churches with cemeteries around them. Because it made them think about it. And it's something we ought to think about. Every time you drive past a cemetery, look to see if there's one of those pretty little tents. No one's camping out there. They're doing something else with that tent. But you can know that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back and everybody, and even if they're cremated, are going to come forth and be put back together by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they that have done good under the resurrection of life. Notice what it says here. I wish some Arminian would preach on a text like this. It says they that have done good. It doesn't say anything about accepting Jesus as your Savior. It says about doing good because the real evidence of eternal life is not accepting Jesus as your Savior. The real evidence of eternal life is doing good. And this is the message throughout the whole Bible. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, that is the evidence of eternal life. And that's what we stress. 
And do you know what it ought to do to us right now? Lord, forgive me my sins and have mercy upon me and lead me in the way everlasting that I can do good unto Thee by the grace and power of Your Spirit through Jesus Christ my Lord. That's what it ought to cause us to do. We can't rely on some momentary decision. We want to fall before God and denying ungodliness and worldly lusts live soberly and righteously and godly in this present evil world because He's redeemed us from all iniquity to purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Does it all fit together for you? The evidence of eternal life is in Titus 2, verses 12 and 14. Then we can look for His blessed, the blessed hope of His appearing. Because brethren, if you're not living a righteous life, His appearing isn't blessed and it's not very hopeful. It's terrible. Look at Jesus referring to His second coming. How about John chapter 21? Just very quickly. John 21. He makes, a, he makes a brief little mention of it. And we jumped over John 14. We were there a couple weeks ago. John 14. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, surely I'm going to come back for you. Why would I be preparing a place for you if I wasn't coming back to get you? Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God and you trust Him? Then believe and trust Me. I'm coming back for you. John 14, 1-3. Peter was a little too preoccupied with others. The Lord Jesus has just given Peter a prophecy that he's going to have an end to his life that will glorify God. And Peter, rather than humbling himself before the Lord and asking strength to be able to handle that difficult death that he was going to suffer, turns and says in verse 20, Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following John, who wrote this epistle, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, this is Peter speaking, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Peter's quoting, John is quoting himself, about some questions that were asked at the Lord's Supper. Verse 21 is Peter asking Jesus, Lord, what's going to happen to John? If I've got to die so miserably to give you glory, what's going to happen to John? Is the question. And Jesus saith unto him in verse 22 to Peter, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Peter, what's important is what you're going to do for me. By your active life and by your death. Don't worry about what's going to happen to John. What if he's still here when I come? Then went this saying abroad among the brethren, that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, he shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Can you see that they're pretty ordinary men? And how they took those words? But I want you to know something. If you're going to last until Jesus Christ comes... What did they understand that to mean? That you will never, you'll never die. If you're going to last all the way until Jesus comes, you'll never die. And so there the Lord Jesus Christ refers to His coming. All He said to Peter was, Peter, what does it matter? What if John doesn't have to die? What if he's still alive on earth 2,000 years old when I come? What is that to thee? Follow thou me. And that's what our whole attitude ought to be. What are we willing to do for the Lord? And what if the Lord takes us? What if the Lord Jesus Christ does not come before we have to die? Do you know what the bottom line analysis of that is? We get to take cuts getting into heaven. Do you know how we take cuts getting into heaven? We go there first. Instead of waiting for Him to come for us. We get to go first. Our bodies will be in the ground and even our bodies are going to go to Him first. Because when the Lord Jesus Christ descends from heaven, those that are dead are raised first. And so there's comfort in the Word of God that if we have to die and and give up this corruptible tabernacle that we live in, we're just taking cuts to be with the Lord. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we're to believe this by faith. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Believest thou this? Yea, Lord, I believe that Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And that's what we ought to put our trust and faith. Jesus Christ has all power of life and death, and He will save you with an everlasting salvation because He's already purchased it with His precious blood and His own life. And He's risen from the dead to show you that He's got power Himself over death and the grave. And He's going to exercise that power on our behalf. And Jesus can say, If I will that He tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Could He will that? He could will that. He has, because God has given him life, and he has life in himself. And he gives life. Let us do what Jesus told Peter. Follow thou me. Let's not worry about each other as much as we worry about ourselves. How well are we following the Lord? Acts 17. Acts 17. Our beloved brother Paul was waiting in Athens, the capital of Greece, the philosophical literature capital of the world, where the Aristotles and the Socrates and the Platos and others philosophized about life and its purpose. And while he was there, his spirit was stirred within him, so he went into the marketplace and began to engage them in debate where men came together to hear new things, and he came preaching the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they took him to Mars Hill where the philosophers gathered. And he begins to speak to them. And he tells them about how superstitious they were. And how foolish they were to think that their little man-made temples... Do you know there are people that will spend thousands of dollars for a tour of Greece to fly all the way from America over to that second world country in order to get in some little undersized automobile and get on some little undersized road and go visit some of those little stone temples they had to pagan gods? And the Apostle Paul had already told them 2,000 years ago, do you think that God is likened to man and dwells in something that you made? But he keeps working up toward his invitation. And here's his invitation with the Greek philosophers in Athens on Mars Hill. Verse 30, And the times of this ignorance God winked at. God's put up with ignorance like you people. These are the most educated intellectuals on earth. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, including on this hill. Because He hath appointed a day in the which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to judge the entire earth, including you Greek philosophers. And he's given proof of that, and he has assured us of that, because he's raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of that. Remember, the Apostle Paul had quite a resume of miracles. Raising the dead, healing the sick, causing the blind to see, the lame to walk, to confirm his word, that he was a witness of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And that resurrection from the dead meant that Jesus Christ had power over life and death and was coming back to judge the world. All men. It's all included here in a summary statement by Paul blasting these philosophers. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. There's three categories. Some made fun of him. Some said, we'll hear a little bit more about this some other time. Sound like King Agrippa? Then there was a third category. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed. Oh, that's precious. Among the which was Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. There were others that heard that speech And they heard about the fact that God has confirmed a judge that's going to judge this earth. And God has put up with the ignorance of the Greeks for as long as he's going to. And now he's commanding all men everywhere to repent. They heard that. And they had something inside them by the grace of God that said that is the truth. And everything we've been taught in the school of Aristotle is false. Everything we've been taught about God and his coming and the Lord Jesus Christ that this Paul is preaching is true. And we ought to humble ourselves before Him and repent. And Dionysius did. You know, when we get to heaven, the spirits of just men are there. 
They're going to have their bodies when we get there, maybe, if the Lord comes. We're going to meet Dionysius, the Areopagite. We're going to meet Damaris, who were saved, converted out of their ignorance by the Apostle Paul's preaching. One more before we break. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Because we went over it recently, it shouldn't take long. Do you know those philosophers had the most information conveyed to them that they had ever heard in their entire lives? They had sat around and they had listened to each other philosophize about life all their lives. They had been raised from little children by tutors. And they had that brother walk in and tell them the truth. And it says that some mocked. They made fun of it. And if you speak of the truth, they're going to mock you today. Others said, we'll hear some more of it because they always enjoyed hearing something new. That's a fleshly response. But there were some that believed. And all those men had the chance to believe the truth. And God commands all men everywhere to repent. And they will be held accountable for having the truth presented to them on a silver platter by the Apostle Paul and by the God of heaven, who by His natural creation and the good seasons that He puts in our hearts had already convinces any man there is enough information for any man to know that there is a God in heaven. But when they had that knowledge, they did not glorify Him as God. And neither were they thankful but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Romans chapter 8. This is what we're waiting for. Verse 18. Verse 17. Verse 17. And if children, if we're the children of God, then heirs. If we're children, then we're heirs. A child inherits something from his father. If we're the children of God, we're heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity not willingly, but by reason of Him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. We are waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver the whole universe from the bondage of corruption because of our sins. The creature that is in bondage and is groaning and travail in pain until now is the natural creation. It's going to be delivered to enjoy the same liberty that we have, the sons of God, because we're going to inhabit a new heaven and a new earth that's going to be recreated and reformed wherein dwelleth righteousness. It will not be groaning and travailing in pain until now like the natural creation around us does at this day. This is the manifestation of the sons of God. When the Lord Jesus Christ will say, These are my children. This is my family. These are the elect that I have died for. And they will enter into the joy of their Lord and inhabit a new heaven and a new earth. This is not a fantasy. This is not a fable. This is not a story to excite the natural man. This is the truth of God's Word. That the whole creation is groaning in travail until now. But the Apostle says, I reckon. He made an accounting. I made a comparison between the sufferings of this present time and the glory that is going to be revealed in us, and they are not worthy to be compared. The two don't have any right on the same page. No matter what we go through in this life, it does not have any right to be compared to what we're going to get in the next life. This whole universe, they don't know anything. They're out there trying to figure out 
what planets are revolving around what suns and how big the sun is and how hot it is and how many radio waves the next sunspot's going to mess up on planet Earth. And they talk and they fear and they worry about things and they're forgetting the most important thing of all. The Lord's going to wrap up this whole solar system and He's going to give us a new one, a new heavens and a new earth. And He's going to reveal us as the sons of God to the whole universe. And we will be delivered into liberty that you can't even imagine now. You are so hindered. You are so hindered by your body. You get up every morning and know how hindered you are. And the older you get, the more you you know how hindered you are. But we're going to be delivered into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. We're going to put on incorruptible bodies and we'll live forever. And the glory that's going to be revealed in us will be greater than any suffering we could ever endure. This is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When does all this happen? When the Lord Jesus Christ shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. New heavens, new earth, my children, come in and let me show you around the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. Unbelievable. But it's true. Because it's revealed to us in scriptures that we have committed our lives to believe and obey. May we let these thoughts stir us every day. When you drive to work, every ordinance of man, let's submit to it for the Lord's sake. Every thought, let's bring it into subjection to the Word of God. Every word that comes out of our lips, let it be noble and righteous. Let it be virtuous and holy. Let us live godly lives so that when the Lord Jesus comes for us, without spot, blameless, He'll find us in the way of righteousness, looking for Him, waiting, loving His appearing, excited to adore Him, racing to be at His feet, saluting Him in whatever way He wants to be saluted, greeting Him with a holy kiss if He'll accept it from us, but loving the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let this be a theme of our hearts. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.